Professor Tim Pichil from Carlton University is a retired professor in the field of psychology, but he is a world expert in the field of procrastination. He even wrote a best-selling book, which called Solving the Procrastination Puzzle, which means that it is very important to listen to what Tim has to say about procrastination, because as Tim put it, it is more than It, it is more emotional than cognitive defect. And we will dive into this later on in the conversation. Professor Tim Pichil, how are you? Thank you so much for coming today. It's my pleasure, Roy. Very good to meet you. And yes, I hope we do take apart that last statement you made because cognition and, and emotion always dance together. Uh, what I want to say right from the outset is it's less about time management Everyone thinks, oh, I'm such a terrible time manager. I'm a procrastinator. I hope by the end of our conversation, we'll convince you that there's a lot more going on psychologically than you having a time management problem. And if I add one more thing, I would say time management is necessary, but not sufficient. And that's a good way to set us up for today. Necessary, but not sufficient. You know, I wrote, I think, two years ago, I wrote a book about how to ACO studies in uh, Hebrew. It's called Hatzlacha mm-hmm. Balimudim. But there is a chapter, all chapter dedicated to procrastination. And I have Pierre Steele and Rita Emmett and all the other, and, and all, there are many scholars in the field that deals with procrastination because I think this is a very important topic to, to touch upon because we all suffer. I never, you, you know, I never met a man that said, you know, I don't suffer a bit. from procrastination. Did you ever encounter such a man? Well, that's a loaded question. Uh, I would say that I'm very close to that now as, a, as an individual because I, I know too much about it to let myself off the hook. And I have a lot of very powerful strategies to keep me uh, acting on my intentions as I, as I planned. So you're, you're absolutely right. I think it's a bit like saying, have you ever met anyone who's never been sad? But in fact, we can do a lot about that. And so I think it's common human nature, as you say, to procrastinate, to put things off. But I do think we can put it mainly behind us. You know, we have Ellen DeGeneres with this great quote, procrastinate now. <laughs> But you said, <laughs> I know too much about it to be uh, into, to fall. And I know the strategies. But in the history of philosophy, We distinguish between the school of Plato and Socrates mm-hmm. and the school mm-hmm. of Aristotle. And right. the idea, there are, you can make a lot of distinctions, but one distinction is that according to Socrates and Plato, if you know what the right thing to do, you will do it. And if you didn't do it, it means that you didn't know enough, okay? Or right. you didn't actually know. But Aristotle, which was... <laughs> I guess, spoke with many normal people, you know, spoke about equasia, the <laughs> idea that you yes. know something, yes. but nevertheless, you can't do it, okay? Right. And therefore, yes. we have the golden line and many other things from Aristotle. Knowing is not enough. And you said just two minutes ago, I know mm-hmm. too much about procrastination. But it seems to me that you are not in the Plato school, you are mm-hmm. more in the Aristotle school. So could you please reconcile? The two? That's a very good insight and a great way to put it. But let me go back to Ellen DeGeneres for just a minute because <laughs> you started there. 
You can't see it. It's above my head. There's a map just over my shoulder on the wall, just like there's a map in your uh, the room you're in. And it, above it, it says, live now, procrastinate later. So I also have a, a wonderful saying that I love that way. And so you're right. Knowing, If knowing would solve things, the world would be a different place than it would have been for thousands of years. Um, that said, when you develop insight and strategies, it's not just knowing about, but it's knowing how. And the knowing how is more Aristotelian. I, I've certainly done research to demonstrate what I think uh, are what we know about why we put things off. Um, but I'm not trying to be overly simplistic and say, sure, once you know things, this problem solved. If that were the case, then libraries would have ended the world strife a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> So again, it's a, I had Barry Schwartz on the show and he spoke about practical wisdom. And I, I think the idea is, again, is to combine the theoretical intelligence with, okay, what are some practices to do the right thing? But before we dive even more, in your opinion or from your research, you are obviously in the field of psychology, but if, if, if I want to shift a little bit to the field of history, mm -hmm. when, do you, when do we first, as a civilization, encounter procrastination for the first time? So, so do we also have like script, scripture from the ancients? I know that there are a very ancient Jewish scripture that deals mm -hmm. with this, uh, this problem, but... Do we also have like other philosophers who dealt with procrastination? Marcus Aurelius, maybe? Huh. Well, that's a big question. You did touch on it in some ways with the notion of acrasia uh, some, and weakness of will. Some people would equate, uh, say that this is the same as procrastination, but not all philosophers will. Certainly we've seen in Egyptian culture, there's an, an, a notion that there's a time to plant and a time a, to sow and a time to harvest and if you miss the flood cycles of the nile you you were in trouble like you it was a serious mistake in the judeo-christian tradition particularly the christian tradition which i know better uh we see sermons being given uh hundreds and hundreds of years ago about not putting off one's repentance and turning to god so the these notions are around for a long time And I'm embarrassed to say that I can't recall off the top of my head the actual uh, things. My One of my students finished a PhD originally from Iran, and he dealt with some of the origins in his own culture in terms of uh, ancient roots of procrastination. So that would be the quickest way for me to answer that, yes, it's it's part of the human condition. Uh, we We've known it for as long as we've known that Uh, we there's an, a gap often between intention and action. I said I was going to do something and I didn't. I think you you know that there there is a great Hebrew phrase which goes like this man but there is nothing is more horrible to lose than to lose your time and ah. in and in ancient Jewish tradition, if I steal something from you, I can always return it back. but if I steal your time, I can't return back your time, which means that this conversation should be very important because we have like, yes. I don't know, over 2,000 hours of people time, okay? Mm -hmm. 
when I upload the conversation, when Ali Abdal upload the conversation, it's it, it's hundred thousand hours of people time. You should be right. very careful with this asset. Okay. Absolutely. I, 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 this is a very important point. And another great place before we get into the details of research to say, for me, uh, I've been interested in this area uh, primarily because it is such a deeply existential issue. Time is the non-renewable resource in our lives, and we don't even know how much of it we're going to get. So certainly we see that in many world religions, this notion of sloth or wasting time as a sin, because it's something, as you said so well, when we take it from someone else, you can't return it. And you don't even know how much you're going to get personally. So when I think about why would I want to uh, understand procrastination better, it's because it can get in the way of us actually living the lives we want to live. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is our these are our lives. And so how is it we can make the most of it? Right. And that that's yeah, what a great way to set up our conversation. Okay, so where do you want to begin with procrastination versus delay or with intention versus action? Uh, let's start with the uh, delay and procrastination. Okay, so uh, let it, me give you my my view and 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 mm-hmm. this and this will be your view. I always distinguish between depressed and sad. I don't know mm-hmm. if this is the correct terms in English, but in Hebrew there is the kaon and atzvut, so depressed and sad. And what I say is, If you're sad, there is a reason why you are sad. Your dog just died. You are sad. Mm-hmm. Depression is being sad with no uh, reason, with not sufficiently good reason. And I think that this distinction can be applied to procrastination versus delay. If I delay, if I postpone the, uh, the, the action of something for a good reason, this is a delay. Okay, but if I do it for a bad reason, this will come procrastination. So please give me your take on that because in all your podcast interviews and in your book, this delay versus procrastination appear over and over and over again. Yes. Well, I think you know, I think you mentioned in your book that you wrote for students about uh, studying, you brought in a lot of different scholars, and I think I heard you mentioned Pierre Steele. Pierre Steele and, and Rita Emmett. Yes, and he he um, gave us a good definition, working definition, even in his own PhD thesis on procrastination, that uh, procrastination is the voluntary delay of an intended action, despite expecting to be worse off for the delay. So when we're starting with the notion of how do we contrast delay with procrastination, well, procrastination is a form of delay, but inherent in it, it's a self-defeating delay. We are... voluntarily delaying it's like I'm not being forced to delay it's just me choosing to delay and I'm choosing to do so even though I'm aware it goes back to that earlier notion of acrasia even though I'm aware this is not in my best interest that I made this intention to do something sooner and now I'm going to delay it so that's the fundamental distinction here between procrastination and delay that procrastination is a form of delay but it's a negative form of delay now there's other forms of delay Uh, that we define in our research. Uh, Dr. Mohsen Hagbin uh, did this in his doctoral research. We talked about purposeful delay. And that's the kind of thing you mentioned at the beginning. I say, well, you know, I'm going to put this off because I could use some help and there's no help around me right now. Or I, I'm going to put this off and any other, uh, any good reason. You're right. There's a reason, logic. 
And we can call it a practical reason. Given my practical reason, this is all things considered, this is what I should do. And then there's inevitable delay. Imagine that uh, today my internet services went down. We would delay our interview today. And, and you know, we'd, we'd both laugh and say it's inevitable. Whenever we're depending on technology to take us across the world, these things inevitably can happen. And Almost many other things. Yeah, well, my I'd had to put my dogs outside because I figured, oh, inevitably, the post person will come to the door and the dogs will bark and it'd be best if they weren't in the house. So that's another form of delay. And yet another is delay due to emotional problems. And this gets a little bit into thinking about sadness and depression. But when my father died, and I use this example often because it's so memorable for me, and his picture is right here, uh, when he died... Uh, Things didn't get done in my life for a little while, but never did I say, oh, Tim, you're such a terrible procrastinator because I was having self-regulation problems because I was sad, maybe depressed, right? And and so things cannot get done. Now, I'm going to add two more things before we go back to you. And that is, you said it always has to have a reason, but they're not always good reasons. Mosin also came up with no- notions of hedonistic delay. So you're delaying so you can have fun instead. Um, uh, arousal delay. Some people say, oh, and and I hope we talk about this because I don't believe this at all. I work better under pressure. Uh, they 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 seem to thrive on the, the the last minute efforts. So there's other forms of delay there too that that aren't so purposeful uh, that lead to problems. And so all of these are in our lives. And if I can just close by this thing by one one statement that is. All procrastination is delay, but not all delay is procrastination and delay is in our lives. Like delay happens. Yeah. Okay. Now you said something about that there is, if there is logic, if there is a good reason and mm-hmm. in, and I tend to distinguish between like good mind and bad mind, which means that the mind, it's like the idea of Schopenhauer. The mind is just a tool for the will and mm-hmm. the will can take this great tool of the intellect and and if you smart you come up with great excuses for anything okay yes and yes. again the intellect being the servant of the of the will and my question is does it, this happen in procrastination what i mean is when i procrastinate do if i'm very smart do i tend to give myself excuses or you know made up logic explanations why this is so important or again since this is such an emotional thing no even I when I'm very smart and I can fool myself in the idea of procrastination I know that there is no logic behind it hmm. I do think where self-deception is common amongst people who are procrastinating in fact John Perry an emeritus philosopher from the Stanford University he has the notion of structured procrastination and we can get into that if you want but in in that he talks about the fact that it involves a bit of self-deception but don't worry procrastinators are very good at self-deception uh, we do all sorts of things in our lives one of some of our most recent research before I retired we looked at compensatory acts we see it a lot in dieting as someone on a diet, Uh, compensatory acts and compensatory beliefs. So someone on a diet will say, 
Uh, yeah, I know I'm on a diet, but so I'm going to eat the chocolate bar now. But just I'm a second, have... could you please explain what compensatory acts is? I know oh. what compensatory education is, but okay, compensatory belief or compensatory action. Yes, I can make up for this. I can compensate, and and in that is the self deception. Okay. So I can compensate for eating the chocolate bar now by promising to eat a salad later. Now, whether okay. I do remains to be seen, and I think we'd see the same thing. In procrastination I um, and, and people see this in their own lives and wonder about themselves I don't want to do my report my writing or some task you pick any task and as your listeners are listening now they can think what am I putting off and then we find ourselves cleaning the house instead for example so what why is it we're not just going out to have fun but instead we're doing something else and in a sense we argue that this is a compensation for We, guilt. We, can, we have guilt well that's right it, it can assuage our guilt to some extent we can say well I didn't do my report today and we've internalized mother but my mother would still think I'm a good boy because I cleaned the house right we we compensated for our sins if we use that word that we we had talked about earlier in terms of wasting time so I I do think there's a great deal of self-deception that goes on some of our earliest studies in the 1990s, We used an experience sampling approach where we put pagers on students because this was before they had phones. And experience sampling just means we're tracking them across time and we're signaling to them, can you tell me what you're doing? Can you tell me what you're feeling? Can you tell me what you're thinking? And it's an interesting way to collect data. And what we found in terms of this idea of deception is that early in the week when they were procrastinating on an assigned task, they'd say things like, Oh, I work better under pressure or oh, I'll feel more like doing it tomorrow. But later in the week when we paged them and collected data from them and they were finally doing their work at the last minute, no one was saying things like, oh, I'm so glad I waited to the last minute because I work so much better under pressure. They were saying things like, this isn't as bad as I thought. Why did I wait so long? I could do so much better job if oh, I'd started earlier. This so self-deception is, is right in there. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> I will use it. Oh, this is great. You know, you, your examples, uh, like my mother will be happy if I clean the room. And <laughs> it seems so childish, but the amazing thing is they are true. They are 100% true. And this student can be 28. Yes. And he doesn't live with his mother for the last 10 years. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah. The, the biological or psychological mechanisms that operate us sometimes are so I don't have another word for from stupid but it seems <laughs> that, you know it's a great word yeah <laughs> there is you know there is David in a, I don't know how I to say palms said the man is so noble I, I think it also in Shakespeare how noble is man the man is so noble that But in other aspect, in the same chapter, the man is like a worm. You know, the, the gap between what you could be and what you are. And I think that procrastination is a, is a great manifestation of how bad we can be in not doing what we are uh, meant to do. Okay. Yes. That, you know, I want to add to that. One of my favorite meditation teachers is Joseph Goldstein. And J- Joseph talks a lot about the mind. And he said, I remember in one interview, he said this a few times in various talks. What he's learned is the mind has no shame. 
And and I think we see that with the excuses that we can make for any sort of behavior, procrastination included. And it always makes me smile when I think of Joseph saying, oh, the mind has no shame. Yes. Joseph Goldstein, a Jewish meditation teacher. <laughs> This is great. Yes, he brought what the, the East to the West in, in oh. North America. He's famous for that. Okay, now uh, I think that let's move on to the evolutionary sides of procrastination. I think hmm. Rita Emmett uh, put it very clearly. I don't have the exact quote, but it goes like this, that procrastination is a great mechanism for us to avoid things that we are... Uh, don't want to do that we that you are afraid of doing there is a great research that ask people what do you what do they think about doing math problems as homeworks and in this research in this research they said that the fear of just thinking of doing homework was much worse than doing homework when you oh, yes. sat down it wasn't so bad So again, I don't want to go into this glamour magazine and say, maybe procrastination is good, but I can understand yeah, I, I can understand the mechanism like Rita Emmett put it, I can understand the mechanism and maybe this is a very efficient biological mechanism. Hmm. That- well, it, we use avoidance to cope. And so you're right, if we if we run away, fight or flight, we can, Um, it's a survival mechanism in many um, situations, but it, it's not very good with relation to the kind of things we procrastinate on. So it's one thing to flee, you know, whenever someone talks about evolutionary psychology, we always talk about the saber-toothed tiger in some silly way. You know, it's one thing to escape the bear or the tiger by <laughs> fleeing, but to try to escape the task at hand is at inherently... College. Yes, and, and I'll use your wonderful world is entirely stupid, right that that, that it because it doesn't go away. Uh, it you're just postponing it and making a worse problem. From an evolutionary perspective, what I like to borrow is on the things like what David Buss would say, and I think he's been one of your guests at one. I point. had him on the show. What a great privilege. Yeah, I think so. I, I've only met him once back when he was at the University of Michigan. I, I really um, admire him a great deal. And he wasn't doing as much evolutionary psychology then. And in fact, he's known of saying things like, we have a Stone Age brain running around in a modern world. And, and I think when I think about evolutionary psychology and its relation to procrastination, I think more of that, that we have this brain That was used to a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush like life was lived in the moment uh, you look at ancient cultures and they starve to death often right the life was hand to mouth now in our modern world you we all live in a world where you can book a, a an airline ticket a year from now and 365 days later show up at that airport and get on an airplane because all of this is happening in the background Well, our modern our, our ancient brain isn't really wired so well for that and so our coping mechanisms are quite inefficient it, it, the avoidance doesn't make sense so that that's where I'd start with that this is very good because I think Dan Gilbert in in his stumbling on happiness you know started the book with how human differ from apes and he say I'm going to take a shot and say in the planning ahead okay apes or other forms of animal 
don't play, don't plan ahead. So, but if you please can expand a little bit about why the notion that we can play, plan so much ahead, mortgage, like 30 years plan ahead are, is, is so deeply connected to the mechanism of procrastination because procrastination say, okay, just don't do it now and maybe mm. the task will go away. Could, well, that's could you true. please it a, could. elaborate on yeah, that, 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 this is a, a very wide open place to elaborate. Uh, we, I hope we'll come back to Dan Gilbert because he's taught me a lot about mechanisms for, for procrastination as well. But this notion of human beings as planful agents is crucial. We're not we're social beings and we're planful and we're driven by our goals. But I was struck by earlier how you said that just the thought of what we have to do can evoke all these negative emotions in us. And for me, the heart of procrastination is that we have these negative emotions related to a task, and we've learned that we can get rid of the negative emotions if we get rid of the task. And so that, to me, is the underlying mechanism of procrastination. It's a failure for emotion regulation, so I don't deal with the negative emotions that are associated with the task. Instead, I get rid of the task. So short-term gain and long-term pain. That's what I think is happening there, uh, but it doesn't completely answer everything you put on the table. You know, I think one can say, okay, this is a great mechanism if you're afraid of doing mass problems, but again, procrastination or people who tend to, proc to procrastinate doing it in various fields. So it's not just that they don't like math, we, so mm -hmm. maybe let me put it differently. Do we know or are we familiar in the research with people who are only procrastination or only procrastinator in one specific field, in one specific domain? Oh, definitely. Now, I have to add this ca caveat, this big warning that most of the academic research, like so much of social psychology is done with students. So it fits your your interest in the kind of book you've written quite well, because we know a lot about students' lives. But we do know, for example, that many students only procrastinate on their schoolwork. And they're very good employees, and they're they're training for athletics, and they're not missing any practices. But when it comes to their schoolwork, that's coming off the rails. And the opposite can be the case, where you've got a very studious person who knows that they should have some health behaviors in their lives, and they're putting off going to the gym. So yes, it can be very situation specific, uh, not surprisingly. If we can think about procrastination as a trait, it's always person and situation. And so the, the trait won't be the only thing that dominates, nor does the situation. They work together much like nature via nurture. They're always dancing together. Let me please, with your permission, deviate a little bit from this conversation because sure. my wife just entered the room and Two years ago, we did an, a big five test. And in the industriousness, she scored 99%. Okay. Wow. Which yeah. means, which means whenever she wants to do something, she does it instantly. Yes. And whenever she asks me to do something and I'm not doing it instantly, she thinks that, wow, you don't love me. So, Really, hmm. there is a world expert on procrastination. Please come, <laughs> okay? 
You are, you you are talking, I better be a world expert in, in marriage counseling if you're going to yank <laughs> you me into this one. You are talking with 99 percentile industriousness. Yes. Which is, by the way, the reason why each and every one of his books is dedicated to moi. <laughs> Because well, without very... me, it would not have made it to the finish line on time. Yes. And now another word for industriousness, because industriousness can be seen as a facet of that super trait conscientiousness. So you mentioned the big five. And for listeners who've never heard of them before, personality psychologists have asked the question for over 100 years of what are the basic traits? And through techniques like factor analysis and using um, semantic approaches with language or uh, starting just with items, they've boiled it down to five super traits. And you can remember them with my favorite word, canoe, because I love to, yeah, or, or ocean. So conscientiousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness to experience and extroversion. There's the five. Um, now, conscientiousness and industriousness, they're really, we're talking the same thing. If you're talking about conscientiousness, you're also saying uh, dutiful, organized, um, I guess we we could throw industrious there. There's a few others, they're what we call facets. Now, interestingly, in the research on procrastination, I think of Clary Lay here, a retired professor from York University in particular, the correlation between conscientiousness and procrastination is very high and negative. The higher the conscientiousness or the industriousness in your case, the lower the procrastination. You just get things done. So if someone is low in conscientiousness, we could say that I am they have 70, a body. Tim, I'm 70. Just 99, 99. One, I am 70. No, 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 7-0. Well, 7-0 is still pretty high. Yes, but 99 <laughs> is I'm, I'm, off limit. I have to go get my kids from the train and it's time to do it now. So I have to go. Okay. Well, well, very you. nice to Pleasure see you. Yes. Yeah, but you know. Safe it, drive. I think that, you you know, those things, it, I don't procrastinate. I, I'm a very productive man. I'm a very mm -hmm. productive human being. I publish four books and I have my podcast. But when yes. I live day by day with a 99%, and this is a Gaussian distribution. So the, mm -hmm. so the right tail, you, you know. Way out there. It, it is mm -hmm. way off limit. So mm -hmm. what can I do? Or, 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 I cannot be, I, I you know. Let me just put it that way. I think that the big five, that the personality traits has uh, have a very gen big genetic com component, just like intelligence. 50%. 50%. Okay. And if, if it is so, then there is nothing I can do to go from 70, which is relatively high, to mm. 99. Okay? And nor would I necessarily recommend it. Very I'm good. Glad Thank your you. Your wife has ste stepped out. No, of the room she, she just left. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm glad she has because she's not going <laughs> to like what I have to say. But with any trait, when you take it to an extreme, it can become a liability as well. Um, Tell you me know, about it. it's because well, sometimes we even go so far, and I'm not. I am not saying this about your wife. I want to make that really clear. I'm talking <laughs> in the abstract now. But when we take any a personality trait to an extreme, we can call that uh, a personality disorder because it it becomes yeah, rigid. It becomes rigid. And and sometimes uh, waiting and, and not doing things frenetically can be 
uh, important to one's well-being as well. So, yeah, and the thing is, what you're talking about is the dynamic between people, that we all differ on these things, and I can I wanted, bring my own. I, 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 I wanted not, not to speak about dynamic, because I think this is has to do more with, you know, the psychology of relationship, and they want to to focus on the genetic part of, you know, I can't, how much, mm-hmm. how What how big is the buffer that I can change? You can't take someone from a, a, a from introvert to extrovert. You can change a little bit, but you can't flip it. And, But, and how my, much change? Yeah, is, that's a really you know in in my online course about productivity, mm-hmm. I told my students, I, I have an online course that they teach you know productive systems and In, in my course some of my students are very productive and they just want to be more productive but some are very non-productive and I even tell them if you give me an a test a big five test with a with below 30 on conscientiousness I will give you your money back in other words I don't think I can help you okay right what do you think about that um I think there's some honesty in your response to that person. But it might be unfair in the sense that we can learn this is what personality psychologists say to act out of character it won't be easy and you will need and this is something that I draw from uh, Joel Anderson at Utrecht University and Joe Heath at the University of Toronto they talk about the notion of extended will you you've mentioned willpower a couple times and And we kind of think about willpower as an internal resource, much like we think of thinking. If I said to you, Roy, what's three times three, you would say nine, no problem. And if I said, what's 487 times 963, you may not be so quick to answer that just using your head. But if I let you use a calculator or a paper and pencil, you'd do it quickly. That's called extended cognition. And what Joe and Joel argue is that we could think about extending our will. And we can do that in terms of uh, helping with change in our lives too. If I'm trying to become more conscientious, I could look at making environmental affordances in my life, like learning to use a calendar more effectively. I've, I said time management is necessary but not sufficient. So I might have to develop some necessary skills around using a calendar, but also using other people and setting up the environment to help me. So I wouldn't be so quick. To say that change was impossible but just to be I think it's fair to be honest and say it will be very difficult for you uh, because you're going to be uh, running against what you might say is bred in the bones right it's this is your nature but we can act out of character an introvert can learn to give brilliant lectures I I my my um my uh, thesis supervisor my doctoral the well he's my supervisor for most of my graduate work and His name is Dr. Brian Little, and he is such an introvert, he would actually hide in washrooms between events so as not to have to interact with, interact with people. And I'm not saying anything out of school here. He would tell you that. He often does, tells that publicly. But he is such a gifted speaker. And so he can act very extroverted. But then he needs to recover. And, and that, that he needs to be able to um, re- replenish himself. So when, all when of that, say, I would say, is we can't act out of character. 
just a second, because it, it, I, I think it's it's very important. When you say act out, out of character, let's say that I'm an introvert or I want to be more productive, I know how a 90 percentile industriousness people look like. <laughs> I can act like them, okay? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or you mean something else because you mentioned environmental help and there is a great book from Richard Nisbet, which... Also, I had the privilege of having on the show the mm-hmm. person and the situation. Mm-hmm. And this is basically the idea, okay? We tend, if, you know, some things are very related to the personality, but some things are very related to the situation, to the environmental uh, factors, mm-hmm. okay? So it, it seems that procrastination is in the personality, but you say, yes, but you can make it you know make the environment make the environment more accessible more easy for doing less procrastination yes and and go back to joe and joel again joel anderson joe heath they talk about scaffolding so you create the environment that scaffolds your success in fact i was just with uh joel i know that uh, podcasts are you know t- timeless and so this won't make a lot of sense at that point but i was just with this man uh, over the weekend so that was just for me a couple of days ago he's on sabbatical here in north america and he just told me this just the other day that not only does he think of scaffolding but he says so scaffolding is temporary i'm now thinking of trellises as well something that's actually in our lives which we grow around that supports us so i think it's really important to think that we don't need to be uh, i'm reacting to your idea that if you get 30 percent or lower on your conscientiousness score here's your money back i can't help you that maybe the solution there is how do we do further research to understand what kind of trellis to use that word can help someone build the right kind of support in their lives so they can be more industrious now they won't get to 99 i tend to agree with you there because of the nature of extremities and if you try to act like your wife it will wear you out right you, you can you like might your able... supervisor like your supervisor that after a big lecture he needs he a... let me let me recover that's right whereas the extrovert only gets fueled up by it he or she finishes a big lecture or they finish a big lecture and they're actually more energized, not less. It doesn't take anything from them. It actually feeds them. So yes, I'm not disputing the fact that personality makes a difference. I'm just I'm saying that because I'm thinking there's some listeners that are saying, look, I'm at the 99th percentile for procrastination. So basically you're telling me there's no hope, right? Because I'm, I'm telling you from pure, from 100% knowledge, that some of the listeners right now, and guys, you know it, choose to listen to this instead of doing meaningful homework assignments, okay? I know many people who substitute meaningful homework assignments in listening to my podcast because it is very educated and it is very Mm -hmm. uh, sophisticated and it's like cleaning the room. We don't clean the room, but it's a very, it's a substitute that people yes, are doing is. right now. People use my yes. podcast for procrastination. Yes, we never got as many um, volunteers for our research than when it was exam time or essays were due because they say, oh, I'll go fulfill my 
uh, experimental <laughs> credits, right? I, I'm going to be, and of course, you know, John Perry, who I mentioned in passing before, he wrote the wonderful book, The the Art of Procrastination, uh, a guide to, do, uh, you can look it up, the, uh, the Art of Procrastination, John Perry. It's a great little book. You know, he, he writes about the fact that at the very end of his book, he says, you know, well, some people ask me what they should read next. He says, be careful. Reading about procrastination becomes procrastination itself. So, yeah, we see it all the time. Yeah, yeah definitely. Now, before we move on, I don't want to go into the techniques yet, because, again, I want to establish the theory. But we before we move on to emotions, I think, you know, mm-hmm. you have a full decades experience and four decade experience means to me that you started your work on procrastination way before smartphones and the internet and social media were available my friend just told me yesterday that in south korea since people look at the phone the entire day they put the traffic lights okay mm-hmm. on on the ground because people just don't look up they look down so the traffic wow. light the red versus green is on the ground okay mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think that the idea of procrastination become inevitably hard you there like the the evil forces of procrastination tiktok and social media and great youtube and all the things that facebook and whatsapp you know did the To get your attention, mm-hmm. it's an unfair fight. And maybe, please don't be mad, some of the techniques that we developed 20 years ago, just irrelevant now. Ah, okay, I'm, I'll really challenge that in a few ways. First, I want to just point out that I really don't have four decades of, of procrastination research. I have. I, I would I'm say sorry. I did 20, 20, 28 years. That's fine. Okay. I think it's just under three decades because I retired um, after 28 years at the university. And I really began my research on procrastination just after I finished my own PhD. My own PhD, by the way, was not on procrastination. It was on goal pursuit and how it made people feel. And the short story is that I realized that it was the things people said they were going to do that never did that really predicted their well-being. If they had a lot of those things what we call procrastination their well-being was in the toilet so just a little aside but th- to get right to your point um one of my favorite recent books in relation to the modern world we live in is the distracted mind ancient brains in a high-tech world by adam gazali i think i'm pronouncing his name correctly he's a amazing guy he's an md and a phd neuroscientist neurologist He knows a lot about human brains and human nature. And in this wonderful book that captures this modern world of us being um, putting our road signs on the ground because we're looking down so much, that's a wonderful story, example. And when he gets to the end, he's, he's, he comes down with some simple strategies that he admits that he uses as well in this modern world. Um, and it's, it's a great title if you think about it. ancient brains in a high-tech world that goes back to our evolutionary things about this uh, ancient Definitely. brain running around in a modern world now he says we have to learn to single task because we all know multitasking is a myth I don't need to expand on that anymore I'm sure your listeners know that but let me tell you I three wrote things. it in my book a few times yes yeah of course and we because it's really 
common knowledge now, even though many of us don't want to accept it. But we can what, walk what, and chew a gum in in the same <laughs> times. But yeah, but this that's is about, about it. it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And don't do it while you're driving, many of you, because <laughs> unless you're a good driver. So, but he says simple things like, so how do you get? How do you deal with this modern world? And honestly, this is what he says: hide your phone, set a timer, take a break, and make sure the break's not on technology. So. Here's a guy that is an MD, PhD, neuroscientist, is really interested in all the th the phenomenon you just talked about, and he boils it down to these simple strategies. In other words, you have to get it out of, out of your face. It's like, how do you lose weight? Well, you don't fill your uh, cupboard full of snacks. How do I stop drinking so much? Don't hang out in the bar. So um that I, that I don't have that's not my work it's his and I'm okay meaning. so let me rephrase I, I I totally agree with you I think you know many people say about the Amish Amish people in the US mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. Amish are against technology no the Amish are not against technology the Amish are against specific kind of technology they have the most advanced tractors for the fields they're just against a specific type of destructive technology technology according to their beliefs but I think what you just said is precisely this the only way to fight social media is to not go to bed with your smartphone the, yes. but if you go to bed with your smartphone you are not strong enough and even no. if you are it will weaken it will drain your battery this yes. constant fight I think yes. that this is a very important lesson after all the years of uh, of uh, of research you cannot fight those powers no, unless you say yes yeah. no no go ahead i'm sorry yes yes, yes. So, so again there if you don't choose to you know close your right everything uh, uh who said uh, who wrote uh, deep work which i i i love oh story. yeah deep work i should know this deep too but doesn't come to my mind right off the top of my head just a second okay but 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 he said my there is a a, a timer on my wi-fi router mm -hmm. there is a timer on my wi-fi router when i you know after 11 psh, no internet okay so let let with your permission let's move to the emotion sides of procrastination and again the idea is how do we face with negative emotions because I calendar and I track my mm -hmm. daily task, my weekly task, my monthly and my semester. Since I'm in academia, so semester is a very good time frame. It's not mm -hmm. a month, it's not a year. I think that semester is the, is the perfect time frame to measure mm -hmm. anything. Sure. And when and when I look about, you know, I wanted to do this task last week, so I move it to this week, but I didn't do it this week. I said, why, why, why didn't I do this specific task? So okay. it, it, it seems to me when I'm dealing with procrastination mm -hmm. that eventually I need to sit down with the task, with the unwanted task and say, hi Roy, why, what is the problem that you're having with this task? But according to what I understand, this process is a cognitive process not an mm -hmm. emotional process so okay all right so let's go back just a half a second it's cal newport we were trying to ah, yeah about. yeah cal newport yeah. And, and at the same time we can think about 
all when we're talking about calendars, which we're going to now, there's this whole notion of time blocking as well. So yes, that that deep work can often be connected with that practical strategy of time blocking. But Definitely. here it leads us right into uh, what my focus on emotions. So I get my calendar set up, and and I'm like you. If you if I showed your listeners my calendar. They think there was something desperately wrong with me, like you were teasing uh, your wife about, in the sense that I am fastidiously organized. Every 15 minutes of my day is accounted for ahead of time or after. If it's not rude, I made you a co-host. So if it's if it's okay with you, oh, I no, will I be... won't. It's okay, too, okay, too okay. revealing. Okay, I, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I could. Just... You, you I just, tried. I tried. I tried. Yeah, okay. I, I have done that before, and then I, I look at my calendar and go, "Oh my goodness, someone could pause that right now and really take <laughs> me apart." So I've learned not to do that because there are person. I, I put everything in there. Okay, frankly. fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minute blocks all day long, and I do I do do intention updates. Things have to move. The best laid plans are only the best laid plans. Some things take longer, um, but th- they're in there, and I do that. I'll tell you first why I do it, because first it, it takes the cognitive load off. I don't have to think about what I'm doing. Um, I, I think about things um, from a temporal perspective. You know, a to-do list is just a list of things, but it's got no reality contact. If I have to put it into my schedule, I think, when do I actually think I'm going to do that? And now I'm starting to think about it in the real world. And I can do a forensic audit. Like if I did show you my calendar right now, I could go back to last week and say, is this the person I want to be? Am I spending the time in places that I want to spend my time? And that gets to that very existential issue of this is my life. Am I living it the way I want to? But your point is important. It sounds like it's all cognitive, but no. Imagine I'm taking deep work to heart, Cal Newport stuff, and I'm using... um, And I'm using... um, time blocking, which I often do. And then I get to that point in the day where it says, okay, it's 11 o'clock. I've got to sit down now with Roy for the podcast. This is what happens. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I'll feel more like it tomorrow. And it's not cognitive now. Fast brain. I'm having an emotional reaction. Sometimes we call it the amygdala hijack. I'm I'm reacting to that now, not about th- with thinking, but feeling. And so this is why I argue that procrastination is an emotion regulation issue because I'm about to put off doing the task and and I can self-deceive and say that I'm just going to do an intention update and move it. But actually what I'm doing is avoiding it. And so even when you sit down later to think, why isn't this task getting done? That's a cognitive process, but I think it's going to take you to an emotional place. It's not getting done because I'm so frustrated I have to do it, or I resent the fact that I ever got this assigned to me, or it is so boring, who would ever want to do it, or I'm really afraid, like I don't know if I can do this. And all those negative emotions, as I said earlier, we've learned I can get rid of those negative emotions if I get rid of the task. So that's why I would argue that even though on the surface it seems cognitive, the underlying aversiveness is emotional. But okay, I, I have so many questions about your calendar. I, I, I'm fascinated by that. It, it, is it also 15 minutes blocking for January 2024 or just for this week? Oh, 
That's a great question. I could go back for a couple of decades in my calendar. It's not as good back then as it is the last few years. I will put things in ahead. I know I have an eye appointment next January, but I don't have, it's most of it's wide open, except for those regularly occurring things. I typically get up around 5.15 in the morning because I love the morning. And I have things like in there that are regular for me. Make the coffee, put away the dishes, take the dogs out, uh, read the news, Make uh, the coffee if, is is in your is on your calendar make the coffee take the coffee make the coffee wow, uh, right. put the dishes away take the dogs out now I know in some ways that seems kind of redundant but it allows me to examine where I'm spending my time like everything takes time everything does and then I also I also have in there um at, at exactly 625 I switch gears and to um, helping my son because he's he's just in high school still I'm a dinosaur dad if I procrastinated on anything it was having children in my life and I'm so <laughs> glad I have them so I I usually make his lunch and and breakfast so we can have a chance just to talk together um and all that's in there and, and when and, and when do you scroll in social media or you don't even feel a an, an urge to do it mm. when do you when do you a uh, a uh, 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 waste your time there is a wasting mm. time periods like a like a reward that Carl Newport speak of yes I'm glad you went there um it, it is a reward in the in a sense in the morning after after coffee dogs are fed dishes put away I read the newspaper so I've subscribed to the New York Times and a few other things and sometimes that can degenerate into looking at other sources and But I got off of social media quite a while ago. I was quite an early adopter of social media, Facebook and other things. But then I realized what a time sink it was. So I got off them and I tried and not to be on them. And for the newspaper, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm still so fascinated. I'm sorry. I told you that sure, I will fine. raise my finger, but I, <laughs> I'm just totally fascinated. In. I'm totally <laughs> fascinated. There is a timer to say, hey, you should stop reading the New York Times and go do something else. Oh, well, it, there's a hard stop in my day if it's a school day to stop because I know I have to get my son on that school bus. Um, it gets more complicated than that because recently he didn't have a bus driver and I was driving a bunch of kids to school. That changed my day too. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I, to answer your question directly, I do schedule in time that are breaks and, and they're for me because I know I need to break. And that can include a nap, right? I can say... I'm 68 now I can go have a nap on that chair that I'm pointing at you can't see I'm pointing at it's right next to me and so yeah and I have a nap a, and there is a nap uh, section in on your calendar and my calendar is all color coded so that I can get a glance especially when I was an academic a working academic like you um because you talked about the semester I had research a different color than teaching a different color than administration and And I could glance at my calendar and say, how much research did I do last week? Am I doing any writing? Like, is all my time being taken up with administrative tasks? What about recreation? They're all different. And then I just a second, just that. a second. So if you are in the research, because again, Tim, I, I'm, I'm talking about myself right now, okay? <laughs> Not okay. about you. If you are in the <laughs> middle of the research caller and yes. your head of a department call and say, listen, I need this email, very urgent, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is, Admin, administrative it, it, it's not research okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what do you do or you keep your phone shut so you can't answer 
your uh, head of uh, I don't know your your dean. Yes, you 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 gave the answer uh, that I was going to suggest is that my right now my phone is on airplane mode, so you can leave me a message, but you can't bother me because I'm with Roy right now. Like you wouldn't want me to have my phone on right now, and so we have to protect that time. In fact, um, Robert Boyce many years ago wrote a book about quick start faculty, and he talked about the fact that you have to protect time for your writing and your research. And I knew many very successful academics who would get in. They realized the way life works. They had to get to work very early and use those quiet time in the morning when no one is going to ask them for things to get their writing done. So they uh, they re- recognized that uh, realistically, the only time they could do that was then. But absolutely, if you want to get something done, you have to protect it. And that's that notion of time blocking. Okay. But I do so, that for everything. I think my recreation time is just as important because it's about my health and well-being. And that, you know, I can look at that as a balanced portfolio. I can look at my calendar, look at the colors and say, is that the life that I want to have? But just a second, again, you said this is a to-do list, but to-do list has nothing to do with reality. I, You can show me your calendar And my question will be, okay, but how does this calendar connect to the real team in his real life? How you yeah. need in order for this calendar to be meaningful, you have to be committed to this calendar. And oh, you know, God. God know, God know that there are not many people, <laughs> like a fraction of people that can be committed to a 15 minutes calendar. Uh, chunks of calendar well so that's great what a great question and this is earlier in my graduate work I looked at the notion of psychological hardiness and this was uh, a, a very existential study that was done by Suzanne Cabasa and uh I think it was Salvador Matty uh, that did this work and they they saw that um you One of the things a few there are three factors and I'm not going to go into that too deeply because we'll get distracted but you you have to be committed and you use this word committed to self commitment to self was a huge aspect of one's psychological hardiness my calendar is an outward visible sign of my commitment to self as is me not answering the phone from my Dean when I'm doing my writing that that is What I'm looking at in my calendar isn't some foreign device, some aspiration like, oh, I'd like to be organized, so I think I should have a calendar. My calendar is my external thinking tool. It doesn't own me, I own it. And I think this is really important for people who don't use one yet. They go, oh, I wouldn't want that calendar to own me. It doesn't. It's my tool. It doesn't tell me what to do. I'm just help it's helping me think. What's next? I can tell you right now that when we finish up today, I have to go do a really awful task. It's awful for me at least. I have to change all the fluids in my tractor, my hydraulic fluids, my front axle fluids. I really don't like doing this job because I'm not the best mechanic in the world, but I need to do it. It's on my calendar and I treat that with serious commitment. It would be easy for me to go, Oh, I'll feel more like doing it tomorrow. No, I won't. I never feel like doing this job. And the fact is, we're having a very unusually warm fall 
And it makes a lot of sense for me to do it now when my fingers aren't frozen to that metal on the tractor. So Tim is going to be under the tractor probably an hour from now, getting very dirty and very frustrated. But that's because I made a commitment to doing that task. And that's a commitment to Tim. That's really important. And even if we get very specific, if you take someone like Peter Galwitzer, who's written so well on implementation intentions, and we we can unpack that in a minute, but an implementation intention helps us get things done. He was very uh, quick to say, even in the 1990s, when he defined the construct, without a commitment to the task, this trick won't help, right? An implementation intention isn't going to help you if you're not really committed to the task. So I put two kinds of commitment on the table, and you use the word first, commitment to self and commitment to the task. Without those, you're just uh, wallowing around. I, I think, you know, there is some world that Israelis really don't like, which is discipline. I think it, <laughs> it comes from the army, you know, in, in the army, mm. and we are obliged to go to the army, we mm. need to be disciplined. And discipline is a very bad word in Israeli or Hebrew, uh, modern Hebrew context. But you can treat it differently. Because discipline is a very good word in Judeo in, in, in Jewish context. And you can say that discipline is the fact that you don't need to fight with yourself yes. for every decision that you make. Yes. But again, when I when I listen to you, I say, ah, okay, so Tim is one of those guys <laughs> who tends to be is just self-disciplined. Okay, mm. he has nothing to teach me. Therefore, I need to go very fast to the techniques, okay? Because from what you say right now, okay? And mm -hmm. this is my tool. I control my calendar. My calendar doesn't control me. I mm -hmm. It's okay. You just, <laughs> the distance between the two of us just go further and further. Okay, okay let's go. Could you please, you're good, could you good please interview. help me? to yes. understand that this is a, not a biological genetic <laughs> it's oh it's not this is a oh. learned skill i floundered a lot in my life um it but see i yeah because i i love the way you put about what discipline is you know it's it's about not fighting against oneself like like i love the zen story that i tell so often about what i think is real wisdom and that is a, a young a monk, not necessarily a young monk. A monk comes to a new monastery, finds the headmaster and says, I'm here, teach me. And the headmaster says, have you finished eating your breakfast? And he says, yes. He said, then wash your bowl. And as the story goes at that moment, he was enlightened. Well, to me, that's just profoundly important. Like wash your bowl. It, don't make any more of it than that, except most of us, when we look at the bowl, we go, I don't feel like it. Certainly the bowl could sit there till later when I have a few bowls to wash. I'll feel more like washing later. No, that's where that notion comes in. Instead of all that thinking, just wash the bowl. And instead of all this thinking that old calendars are for other types of people, just put it down in the calendar and live your life. Right? You okay, use I, the I, calendar as a tool. I, yeah. I, 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 I need to just... Okay, to ask you Good. about one word that you just said, just, okay? Just, yeah. Because I think that many of the fights or, or arguments that I have with my wife, is I, I, I really don't understand how you don't do it the same time I just asked. So my question is, because <laughs> you have a vast uh, psychologic, psychology experience, 
can you understand yes, <laughs> that some right. people tweet this just with I have no idea how to tackle this giant mountain. Good. Wow. I just I get here's a big hug coming from Canada to Israel to you. When I because you know I did this podcast for years and wrote a book, I've had people contacting me from all over the world and it's always wonderful to hear from people. And I remember one person wrote to me an email and said, Dr. Pitchell, it's so nice that you share your knowledge. And I really kind of understand this, just get started. But sir, if I could just get started, I wouldn't have a procrastination problem. Can you do a little better than that, please? And I <laughs> laughed like you're laughing. And I thought, yeah, that's fair. And 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 I, I often say to people, don't use that word just, but I use it all the time. So let me just back up and say, I had to think about that and say, yeah, what's what's implicit in there for me? What is it that's happening in me that when I hear just get started, it doesn't just stop me in my tracks? So we go to David Allen. David Allen is famous for the book, Getting Things Done. And he said so clearly, uh, what we need to think about is not the whole project, because that's overwhelming. Like you say, I don't even know how to do it. He asked this wonderful question that I made my own, which is, what's the next action? Ah. See, what's the next action? And I ask myself that the question all the time. In fact, when I get out to my tractor, because I'm not going to feel like doing it, I'll say, what's the next action? Go get the drain pan for the fluids, Tim, and a wrench. That's the next action. And you see, now I'm doing the task. I'm not standing there fretting and reminding myself of how much I hate it. And what's this is also on, on your calendar. When you no. say on your calendar, fix the tractor, you... That's it. No. It no. just says fix the tractor. I've okay. given myself a big block of time. When I get to the tractor, it's what's the next action. That could be a whole other side conversation about whether that might be an interesting strategy for someone to break it down. Because when I look at that calendar entry, I got to tell you, it give me, gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't want to do it. But what's and, the next and action? We, uh, sorry, and we have the Hofstadter law that things always takes longer than what you expected, <laughs> even considering the Hofstadter law. So when you give your uh, uh, block of time for fixing the tractor, how do you know if what if it's insufficient? You know, because I love the mm. Pomodoro techniques. You yes. switch things from task to just yeah. time. Just focus mm -hmm. 25 minutes. Okay, mm -hmm. this is great. But in the tractor, you can't say, okay, I will do two Pomodoros on the tractor. You can't leave the tractor wide open, you know, no. with all the, uh, yes, you're right. the wires. Everything drained on the ground. Yeah, you need to finish this job no matter what today. Yes, but Roy, because I've done this for a while and because I do keep daily records of how long things take, I'm really quite good at oh, estimating okay, okay. time. You're right. And I did give myself a little extra time for this one because it's uh, there's a little bit of unknown and the world's not perfect. I could make a mistake. There's no doubt about that. But you see, the, the key thing about all this is that um, it's not about self-discipline. It's not about me forcing myself to do stuff. It's about me living the life I want to live. So if there's someone who's saying, oh, I'm such a terrible procrastinator, I say, well, what you, you don't want to be a procrastinator? No, I don't. I want to do that task. Then I, I'd say to you, what's the next action? What's the next action you would take if you were going to do this task, even though I know you don't want to? And you make that action as tiny as possible. And then you look at that action, you say, well, I can do that. And you see now you're moving in the right direction. And you on my bad days, I have to do that over and over 
and over again. But at the end of the day, I got a lot of stuff done. And those are my bad days. The good days, I do what's the next action and I prime the pump and there I'm off doing it. Yeah. You, you know, I read research recently about students that they have a very big procrastination problem and they were told exactly the same thing. When you go, when you come home before watching television, before eating, before doing anything, just take your notebook, take your book, open it in the correct page, in the correct place, put the pencil on the notebook. That's it. But once the pages the book is already there and the notebook is already there and you did the entire ceremony, you're more likely to you know just take a glimpse or do something mm-hmm. okay and again, so okay, from I want to go from having no calendar whatsoever, it's not my right. situation right now because I tend to I I, I cons I used to consider myself productive. <laughs> up until I the conversation with you no, no the conversation with you I know for, in my wife with my wife it is very simple for me I say okay she is off limit she's off limit <laughs> it, it is very simple for me to live with this okay this is uh, but okay I have no calendar whatsoever and I want to move towards the your calendar okay yeah so yeah. again one thing and one technique is okay just focused on the next tiny bit tiny itchy thing okay but no let me if you're yes. going to start to do a calendar this is going to go back to the 1970s and a technique that I learned from someone else and I'm trying to think of his name it was a small self-help book it was called the unschedule UN unschedule and that was take out your calendar and And write in all the things that you have to do just to keep yourself alive that you do every every week you know when do you get up when do you make breakfast shower when do you buy your groceries when do you cook because if you start there then you look at your week and go wow there's not as much time as I thought you know because if we think I'll do it next week it's like next week is some big blank pristine emptiness <laughs> without any contingencies and And so I love the unschedule. If you're just going to start a calendar, uh, it kind of goes back to the question of, Tim, do you have anything in your schedule for 2024, 2025? Yeah, I've got get up, make coffee, make my son breakfast, lunch, those sorts of things. Things that are, I know are repeating, but it doesn't have other things because I don't have anything there yet. But all of us have an unschedule. And so you could do that. You know, when do you take the bus? How long does that take? Whatever it is. And then, then you can start filling in the things that you, are your goals. Yeah. You know, it seems to me that your retirement was a massive event on your calendar. Because oh. for yes. someone who has a 15-minute block and he goes from, you know, being a, full, a, a full-time professor to mm-hmm. retirement... You need to fill those things with a lot of you can't mm-hmm. you can't But waste then I, I always had a very busy personal life as well uh, yeah when my children were born I'm a Canadian and I had a sled dog team I live on a farm I had horses and chickens I had two oh, small children good. a job so uh, in some ways it made me go oh Oh good I got time. I got more time I was doing things I was wasn't if, getting enough if, sleep if, if you have a farm so then I think 
it is all settled because farm let you uh, you know invite so many walk okay so one thing again is do the unschedule just put all the things on your schedule and say wow I mm-hmm. don't have so many so much time but let me tell you my friends my students right now they dealing with something that I I wouldn't say completely different they just want to they just want mm, let me just call for just one or two YouTube videos and then mm-hmm. when they check their YouTube history uh-huh. they they It, it is unimaginable. It is not yes. the time that we don't have because we need to eat and we need to shower. Mm-hmm. It, it is a time that we don't have because we waste it so yes. much. So then, much. Yeah, and we waste it in a very subtle way. We make rational decisions over irrationally short periods of time. It's a wonderful way we self-deceive. It will only take me a minute to look at TikTok. It's true. You can look at it for one minute. But a minute later, you face the same decision. And then as the joke goes, three hours later, you wonder why you're watching a picture of a seal hitting a kayaker with an octopus or whatever it was, a squid. You know, Are you familiar with the word binge? Binge, oh yes. People binge, yeah. Yeah, so people will never see a 10-hour video or film like Holocaust by Claude Lanzmann. But... Mm-hmm. doing it in yeah. all full friends so, yeah a, a, a full series of well four or five seasons of a TV show because the other thing is that they're set up to do that the next show begins in 10 9 8 in fact they've even shortened that as I've seen yes five um, so five, yeah four, absolutely people what binge. can you tell these people who have Netflix or you say guys you If you have Netflix if you have social media if you have Twitter if you have Facebook and if you all if you're constantly you know have all the notifications there when you're trying to study I really can't help you which leads us to you know mm-hmm. I think another of Carl Newport books is digital minimalism okay right you just right. can't be productive no. with all this constant hiss yeah. but then you I think there's a larger question one must ask themselves first before they get into digital minimalism which is are you living the life you want to live and if not what is that life who is it you want to be you have to have that possible self that provides motivation the distance between actual self and one's possible self is a motivator and until we start to articulate who we want to become and how that compares to where we are, will we want to use any of the tools that we're talking about or other people talk about so I want listeners to take that to heart too is that if you're really happy with the way you're living your life why would you listen to anybody talking about using a calendar like this you must think that they're just terribly anal retentive as Freud might say you know there's just way too uptight it's only going to be a tool for you if there if it's a tool for change and there's only going to be a change for you if your possible self is different than your actual self and then on top of all that you have to think is there a readiness for change are you actually ready to do this right now and if you're not then you're not right and and there's no magic here uh, Roy and Tim can't change your life Roy and Tim can tell you techniques that would be helpful if you you want to change I want to please if you can expand on the idea of changes within your plan 
you know i came from the magic industry and the, in, in the magic industry there is a big debate versus a written script versus ad lib you know i don't want to be stick to a, a, a to a written script because it restrict me and i want to be and i i want to be spontaneous mm-hmm. etc but mm-hmm. on the other side people say listen you can only be spontaneous if you can lay if you can you know go back to a written script in something if something messed up you have you know your safety, safety net. net you yes. have your safety net to go mm-hmm. and mike w- whenever in my short history i'm almost 42 right now when i tried to be so precise on my calendar just like you okay mm-hmm. i have four kids and 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 I in the show business and in academia and in mm-hmm. many other things mm-hmm. something always shows up so mm-hmm. and then I need to shift I need to change I don't follow the procedure I don't follow what I wanted and maybe yes. just like what you said listen I know how much time it it's going to take me to fix the tractor because this is not the first time I'm doing it okay that's right That's but right. what if this is the first time or the second time okay well two two thoughts come to mind I tend to agree with you that you can't really improvise or be uh, spontaneous unless life is under control otherwise it's really just chaos and you're always fighting panic and and guilt and so when I live by my structure when opportunities arise I go great I can do that everything's under control I've got Now, the other part, a very practical thing is I do make intention updates. I can move things, right? In fact, just before we got online here, we have we have a cottage to close because it's winter coming. And my brother-in-law and I need to do this, but it's going to rain on the weekend. And so I said to him, I can come tomorrow if you want me to come tomorrow. I can be spontaneous, right? I can change things. Um, I can make an intention update. Intention updates are... always possible um, that's not a problem um, so and when I and the other thing that came to mind was this is that sure I might not know how long some things are going to take in fact I don't know how long it's going to take us to close the cottage because this is something my father-in-law always did but he's very ill right now so there's a lot of unknown there but the key thing here and this is a concept that's really important in terms of procrastination is I can't be a perfectionist Right? that yeah life's not perfect and I'm going to do my best and that's going to be good enough and this is really something we found in our research um Gordon Flett from the uh, a Canada research chair at York University did some of the earliest work here he's an expert on perfectionism that one type of perfectionism socially prescribed perfectionism is very highly correlated with procrastination Now, to understand this, I always say this. I always say this. I always, always, always say exactly <laughs> the same thing. If you're a perfectionist and you're doing stuff, this is BMW. This is great. This is great. But most people use the term perfectionism for doing nothing. Oh, geez. Well, that's, yeah, that's so, the antithesis. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, 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 I, but, you, but there's more than yes. one flavor of perfectionism yeah, yeah, yes. in the in the literature. There's at least two broad categories. We can say perfectionistic concerns, perfectionistic strivings. The concerns 
It's all that rumination and thinking about trying to live up to other people's expectations. It freezes us in our tracks and we procrastinate. Professionalistic strivings or um, self-oriented perfectionism is just, I'm trying to do my best job. Like I'm really invested in doing the best I can. If you're really trying to be perfect, that's never help, never healthy. But if you're just trying to do a great job, good for you. But if you are internalizing the values of others and you're worried that this could take longer, what if I screw up? You're liable to procrastinate. So that's what came to mind as you were talking about people listening and thinking about their calendar. And it's I don't know how much time to estimate. The world's not perfect. And I think it that might we have, screw up. I think that we have... You know, Winnicott gave us a good enough mother, and I think yes. we should expand it to just good enough, just do something. My PhD yes. advisor, Professor Boss Ben Moshe, always said, always told me, most people are wrong at not doing. They are, their, their mistake coming from the idea that they are not doing. Just do. And, and 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 your mistake from doing will be much more valuable and you will learn much more than your mistake of not doing which leads me you, yes you, you know you have 20 years of, of experience and you said in the beginning of our conversation I know too much about procrastination then <laughs> to fall into this trap yes. and you think that I that the theory help you become a better person and I think that the that the term yes. better person actually fit because you live the life that you want to live by not procrastinating. Mm-hmm. Is it true? I think so. Yeah, and, very much and, so. And my question is... I mean, is, I have, but I would add, I have lots of regrets and remorse in my life. I have to deal, I'm still a human being, but but in terms of how I spend my time in relation to my goals and the things I'm trying to become um, are aligned. But that... Uh, okay okay no, very good yeah just make that very important yeah, yeah. distinction but since you but since you better yourself throughout time throughout 20 years of experience can i ask what was like the number one tool insight epiphany that said okay i think that this one really made made a difference for my student i can say that mm-hmm. the pomodoro thing you know switching from task oriented to time oriented really mm-hmm. made a very good shift in their productive lives. But for you, what was yeah. this like one technique or insight or epiphany? It wasn't the Pomodoro technique for me because for, and for some people I know that after a while it um, the magic wears off with it because we realize we're, uh, it's a very Sartian thing in the sense of we create these, as he called them guardrails. And then we realize the only thing that keeps that guardrail there is me. And then it loses its power. Like I'm I'm the person turning on the timer and living up to the, the, the 20 minutes or the 25 minutes. And then it all falls apart again. So that's why the technique might be a good first step. But I think we're always left facing ourselves in a profound way. So for me, it's been very much a mindful attitude towards all these things. We I mentioned Joseph Goldstein in passing as a, a mindfulness teacher. Um, and very much so in terms of uh, self-compassion and mindfulness, particularly these two phrases, one we've heard already, what's the next action? Actually, three phrases, I'm going to say. What's the next action? These all dance together. It's okay to feel this way. In other words, 
I'm having all these negative emotions related to this task. I don't want to, I, I, res I resent this or I'm bored by this or I'm anxious about it. It's okay to feel this way. And the final one comes from someone I, I read and I've read that I admire greatly, Parker Palmer. Amongst his many wonderful books, he's a Quaker. He wrote a book called The Courage to Teach. And as a professor, you might enjoy that book a great deal, The Courage to Teach. And in it, he wrote, I may have fear, but I need not be this fear because I can work from some other place in my inner landscape. And I just generalize that to, I can have this emotion. I need not be this emotion. So that's the mindfulness piece. I'm aware of it, but I don't let it own me. I can put my attention somewhere else. And you see, if I take those three things together on any given day, I can keep living the life I want. Because I, I, you know, we, you've been so honest and your wife has been so honest about personality. And we've only talked about one trait, industriousness or conscientiousness, neuroticism. I score very high on neuroticism uh, in terms of proneness to worry, uh, depression, social uh, self-consciousness. And so... Uh, I have to deal with a lot of inner demons. Uh, I'll get by up the someday. way, by the way, on neuroticism, neuroticism, she is two, ninety-nine wow. versus two. She cannot understand sad people. How wow. can you be sad in this wonderful world? She's so, so lucky. Ninety-nine and two. Yeah, you <laughs> okay. married the right woman. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> she can't I, my partner she can't, my partner is very low in neuroticism as well and it does our, our marriage good things because i can be overreactive because i have these you know I'm, I, i always just summarize that i'm wired too tight tightly but all that is to say that in any given day as much as i'm organized you know and, and got this calendar and all the rest of it i have a very volatile inner life and so i have to say to myself it's okay to feel this way You can have this feeling. You don't have to be this feeling. So there's my honesty with you in terms of you've been really honest with personality. So I have my own liability. My and own so, demons. My own demons. And, yes. and, and, you know, and perhaps that feeds into somewhat of my own bias in science to say, I see a lot of evidence for emotion-focused coping ah, as opposed wow. to, yeah. See, like wow, wow. all scientists are human as This opposed to saying, oh, I think procrastination is a, a question of temporal discounting, which I, I see a great nature paper right now. <laughs> I hope <laughs> you, you know, write it. I, 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 it's like, you know, the distinction between I have a pain and I'm in pain. Okay, don't let the pain uh, yes. rule over you. And yes. I, I, since I'm in old school Jew, I must tell that in ancient Jewish wisdom, we now tend to synonym the self with what he thinks. You yeah. are what you think. You are what you think. But in Judaism, you are what you do. Yes. And, what, and your thoughts are, are, are much less important yes. than your and in Buddhism, actions. And Buddhism grabs the notion, we are not our thoughts. We shouldn't identify with our thoughts. It's a different ethic than what you've just described, but I think it's another one I want to share with listeners to say that's profoundly important because we think all sorts of things. Like even I'll feel more like it tomorrow. I work better under pressure. Not only as self-deception, but I don't need to identify with those thoughts. I can see them for what they are. 
the ancients were much smarter than what we usually think. Yep. Tim the Pichin, Stoics in particular. Yes. Thank you so much for your insightful uh, conversation and, and, and so many smart things to think about. I usually uh, end with two questions. One mm-hmm. is... Could you give me a productivity tip? But since the entire conversation was <laughs> about productivity tips, I would substitute for what are you doing right now after the retirement? What are the, like the most important uh, philosophical or, 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 or mind things on your life right now? Wow. Well, it's a very much a spiritual journey. If in my earliest years, I did, Uh, go to seminary and and struggle with really classic um, spiritual pursuits and I'm still that uh, seeking uh, spiritually uh, and very much of it revol- revolves around mindfulness and uh, understanding these things we talked about Sam Harris briefly earlier um, exploring more of that so that occupies a great deal of my time and interest and in retirement, It's to be the best family man I can, right? To scaffold the life for my children uh, to uh, so that they get on their feet well, uh, not to stifle them or to try to shape them, but to enable them, you know, uh, to be there for them. That's the easiest way to put it, to be there for them. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm up to. You, you, we usually say in our family, just don't ruin too much. This is what we want. This is what we strive for. Don't win too much. Don't win too much. Interesting. Well, I liked your Winnicott quote, the good enough. I want to be the good enough father. Yes. I guess. Yeah. And the other thing is any books, you know, that you read recently to change your mind, you mentioned few. You mentioned mm-hmm. the destructive mind. You mentioned the courage to teach. And uh, you mentioned, of course, David Allen getting things done in the seven habits. But, and we have a lot... We mentioned a lot of things, but if you just oh, yeah. need to just focus or uh, give me just one one book that you said, you know if you came if you came so far, you might want to read this book. Holy mackerel, that's not fair. yeah, I, I I'm sorry. That's okay. I read a lot of books, uh, especially I do a lot of audio books because I'm on my tractor a lot and I do a lot of chores and I drive a lot. Um, I have a whole raft of books because they're but I'm gonna just I'll stick to your um one book so yeah it's gonna relate unfortunately and this is so funny because if you know if you we talked about this would be the third time we raised Sam Harris's name and you know he's famous for his attitude towards free will and oftentimes he'll say for example as an ex uh, of a way to demonstrate the lack of choices he'll say uh, I want you to pick a movie star and And of course, what pops into your mind wasn't some process you went through consciously. And when you say to me, pick a book, I'm thinking, I don't even know how to do this. Like things are popping into my brain. And I think, where did that come from? So it's really quite uh, perverse that it's the demonstration that I really don't have free will here. Things are just coming into my head and I don't know why. Um, but if I, I stick to a theme in my spiritual journey around Buddhism in particular, Uh, Pema Tro- Chodron. I've been reading a lot of Pema Tro- Chodron. Um, so you, you can pick any one of her titles because many of the books are similar. Um, I'd have to pull up my phone to tell you well, I can do that. We've got all sorts of time, I suppose. Um, yeah, it was Jeffries on, on the show. He, he specialized in NLP and he mentioned Shin Zen Yang, which is also 
a Jewish guy that uh, introduced the East to the West, but I mm-hmm. never came across, uh, up until now, this Goldstein guy. Oh, you have never, oh, yeah. Joseph Goldstein is really quite uh, well-known in North America. He's, he's established in the 70s a meditation center on the East Coast in Barre, Maine. But, okay, I'm going to, uh, i got to pick one, eh? Ah, jeez, I've read so many. Okay, oh, here's one I didn't oh. think I would say. This one is called Can't Stop Thinking. I've never oh, recommended this, this. Can't Stop Thinking. It's written by Nancy Collier. And actually, the preface was, or the foreword was done by Stephen Bodian, who's quite a well-known Buddhist. But Nancy Collier can't stop thinking. And it really speaks to, being very honest here, about my own uh, work on myself in terms of um, my emotional... Stop thinking how to let go of anxiety and free yes. yourself from obsessive rumination. rumination. And how to, to, to really own the idea that I'm not my thoughts. There. Wow. That, that book I've listened to quite a few times um, because it's my own work right now. It's my my and, work on, on rumination. And again, if I need to summarize our entire conversation and what you said in, in your wonderful book, you can't have a bandage, a plaster. You can't have a very superficial uh, things to put on procrastination. The idea, the mere idea of procrastination is that we are we are afraid of facing ourselves. We are afraid to facing the person that we want to be. And in order to tackle this thing, we need a, we need massive weapons. And the spirituality journeys that you mentioned, but other journeys, but are can be very helpful. But again, it 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 will not be solved with a stitch and we with just a bandage you know need... but yes but to be fair you know think about richard taylor who won the nobel prize in economics in 2017 and he says we're more like homer simpson than we are homo economicus and he's written the wonderful book with another co-author whose name is escaping me called nudge some of the yeah, techniques yes. we've mentioned today can nudge you in the right direction you know, because on the one hand, what you've summarized there is profound change. And it could overwhelm people. Like you're saying, I've got to come to the existential grips with my whole personhood to defeat procrastination. Yeah, that would be good. But in the meantime, you can nudge yourself in the right direction by saying, what's the next action? Or by saying, in situation X, I'll do behavior Y. Like, don't don't make it bigger than that as you're making these baby steps towards change. I, I just want to end there in the sense that I wouldn't want to leave anybody with the idea that it's momentous change. It's just going to take some time. Yeah. And again, you know, the idea is that your calendar enable you to reflect one week ago, two weeks ago, one month ago, 10 years ago and say, this is a measurable metric, and I use the term over and over on my podcast, a measurable metric to see whether you're conducting the lives that you want to conduct. I think yes. that the, just the mere idea that you can say, mm, how really did I do last week? I think that this is like, and, yes. and when you see truth, you know, with colors mm-hmm. up in front of your eyes, yeah. Now it's like you're going on the scale and you say, Loda, I don't know, 250. Wow, this is serious stuff. 
<laughs> thank you so much it's been a wonderful conversation i hope you enjoyed it as much as i, I did. did it's really a pleasure to meet you right wow you know i'm not into the psychology i measure in computer science but oh, yeah? i love yes i i i i'm in the field of artificial intelligence and computer science and theoretical computer science but i wow. love the idea of psychology so much this i think obviously that, yes yeah i think i think the lion share of my books on my library are psychology oriented well you're a well-rounded person then good luck with not destroying the world with ai <laughs> okay <laughs> thank you so much yeah my pleasure Roy. really nice to meet you bye bye thank you